This is the UGA Sports call-in show without Paul Meharry. I'm Dane Young filling in for him uh, this week, but always with uh, Jason Button, Ben Bachman on this show. Uh, I think y'all have more fun here than I typically – maybe the other things I do are, are more buttoned up. So uh, maybe I should go grab the bourbon and, and let's uh, – Do it. I got my mm-hmm. – got my. Oh my God, I already forgot what – I'm in Montreal, <laughs> everybody. And so my wife went and got some wine and she gave me a glass. So go get a bourbon. So, so in a half hour, we're going to have a really good time with Jason if, if that wine glass yes. keeps getting filled up. Uh, a lot of things to uh, discuss here. If you want to join the UGA Sports Call-In Show, the link is in the description here on YouTube. Uh, we're going to focus on wide receivers and tight ends this week as uh, we've been on this show going through. and Well, I say we. You guys have been going through position groups uh, as we are in the uh, offseason at this point leading up into spring. Receiver and tight end going to be an active one, so excited to chat that. But first, uh, Amarius Mims, I think since the last time that one of these shows happened, uh, left. Came back. He's going to be with Georgia, uh, a valuable piece of depth there. Ben, overall, what does this say about Georgia's offensive line? What does it say about Georgia's coaches to be able to essentially re-recruit Amarius Mims? I think it's big because he could have started at Florida State or Miami like very easily because their lines are not very strong. He definitely would have been a starter there. So I think that says a lot about Georgia, the program itself at this point. But also, I think it's really big for depth and the long term, because I think me and Jason said, what was it, two weeks ago when he entered, that we said this, uh, barring injury, wouldn't have an impact this year. But next year, he would have been a starter. I think next year, he's guaranteed to be a starter as long as he's on the roster. So this is really big for the long term in the offensive line, because otherwise, they would have really needed a big time recruit in this cycle, because the long term depth at tackle I wouldn't say strong, but the long-term depth at guard with guys like Willick and Fairchild and Wilson and pretty much everybody at guard is really strong. Tackles kind of the issue outside of Ernest Green. So that, that says a lot about Stacey Searles to get a guy to basically be willing to sit one more year than be a starter at a top-flight ACC program. It's uh, it's tremendous, obviously. I think uh, when you look at the future of tackle, it's a, it's a big boost uh, to get him back. Into the fold, I th- I would be really interested to know what happened on the Florida State visit, what the coach, what the Georgia coaches were saying to him throughout the, the process, really to what changed, what, what went into him a week before G Day, he decides to that he's done, he's going to leave. We were kind of speculating a few things on the on the show. All of a sudden, it, it, the guy the guy comes back is clearly willing to sit one more year at least. And uh, I don't know if he got some good advice in the long run. Don't know if he saw something at Florida State that that kind of got into his mind and said, ah, maybe this isn't a good idea. Uh, but great for Georgia because um, he will be a, a factor for sure next year. And who knows what can happen. He's one play away from being a starting tackle at Georgia this year. You said you didn't know what happened uh, on that Florida State visit. And uh, from what I could tell from what that 15-second video snippet, a lot of clapping. A lot of Mike Norvell <laughs> doing that less miles clap and uh, that ended up being a little empty. But I, I think your last point is probably the, the the most salient of like Georgia at tackle. One of those guys could get injured. I mean, it's really rare that you play as many games as a team like Georgia could play getting up into 14, 15 games and have both of your starting tackles healthy the whole year. Warren McClendon's been remarkably healthy during his time at Georgia. Broderick Jones, not a season, right? But, uh, you saw Jamari Salyer miss games last year where Jones had to come in and play. So I don't think this is a, a relegation to a backup role necessarily, although in, I guess, cases it could be. Uh, but I think Mims is going to be valuable for Georgia. Oh, 100%, because your depth, I mean, McClendon's experience, but if he goes down, you might have to start a freshman who naturally a lot of people thought was a guard coming out of high school. And when you have to start a true freshman, I mean, Andrew Thomas is a rarity and I just don't, I'm never going to project anybody to be Andrew Thomas. So knowing that you don't have to play a potential freshman, if injuries happen is something that's really strong. Plus his talent, he's probably his talent and ceilings is as high as anybody in the O-line room, but it's more of just, can he put in the work and over time, whether it's a guy goes down or by mid season, do they see something to the point where they're like, okay, we have to play this guy. Jason, I was uh, chatting with a friend of mine uh, last week, and he was just saying, well, why can't Mims just play guard? It seems like that that's the spot where, like, there's, there's some movement to be done. If he's that good, why couldn't he just play guard? Why isn't it that simple? 
I mean, it's a different body type, diff- a, a little bit of different technique. Uh, some guys can do it. I think Isaiah Wynn was a good example. He could play all every spot, all five spots on the line. Some guys can't make that tackle to guard transition and vice versa. Some guys don't have the body type uh, to go from guard to tackle. Um, uh, Isaiah Wynn obviously could. He, he was a he was, he was a freak in that regard. Uh, it doesn't sound like, just based on what we know right now, that Amarius Mims uh, can plug in at guard. Uh, he's a tackle right now. Uh, he's the body type for a tackle. I think the upside's there. It's, it's kind of what Ben was alluding to. Uh, it, is the drive, is the motivation going to be there to put in that work? To I mean, it's no joke. I mean, you can be all world in high school, and then everybody is, is on your level for the most part when it comes to, 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 to uh, yeah, I want to say everybody's on your level at the college level, but the game is, is significantly – uh, a greater and more competitive. So uh, is he willing to put in that, that extra effort, that extra time to, uh, to, to get in there at tackle? Um, now I think the, the, uh, the thing that if, if he proves that he's one of the five best and that, or he's one of the top two tackles, maybe that opens up a spot. Maybe Warren McClendon is the one who slides over to guard. Uh, if Warren McClendon is still one of the top five offensive linemen on this roster. Um, but as of right now, there's no indication that would suggest that Amarius Mims is guard. You know, some guys can do it. They have the flexibility. Some guys don't. Right now, uh, it certainly seems that that's not the case for Mims. Let's play a game real fast. According to the people I talk to, so I'm curious if y'all get the same things because we all talk to, to different people. Um, there are two offensive linemen on the team that are probably could play all five spots, kind of like Jamari Salyer did. But otherwise, it, it's kind of specialized. I've been told it's two. Can you guess those two? Ooh. Which yeah, c- center makes <laughs> the weird spot, right? Because, like, I, yeah. I've been told Ernest Green could potentially play guard one day as well, like if he becomes yeah. one of the best five. But he's not a center. No. Ooh. I would be able to – Micah Morris? Oh, that's not one that's come up. I don't I don't know if he's done any snapping. Um, I'll tell you, I, McClendon's one of them, and that's only because he's taken oh. some snaps. Uh, I don't know if it's in an emergency role or just to see okay. what if a best five came up of if Van Pran got injured. Like, McClendon, I don't think that they're, like, super comfortable with this snapping, but it sounds like something they've worked on to a very basic extent. But he could, yeah, he could be an emergency center. Um, I don't know, man. It helps us to go down the center I was going to go with Tate. I, I mean, a part of me was yeah, tempted to say Dane's little brother, Warren Erickson, but I don't <laughs> think he can play tackle. <laughs> um, Blasky is the other one that I've been talking about. Blasky, okay. Oh, yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, because he, he's played center. I think he was uh, the third center. Yeah, that makes that makes, that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Right, and, right. And then, did. If anything, probably his most natural position, if I had to guess, would be guard. And I think he's been repping at tackle more, especially with uh, Amarius Mims leaving and coming back. They were trying to get him more reps in the uh, in the spring there. So I don't know. Usually that does provide value if you can play all five positions because you can plug in anywhere uh, and play earlier than maybe you would have otherwise. Right. Any more Amarius Mims commentary? Just uh, it's great for the program uh, to to hold on to a guy like that. Um, I, it's just. I remember saying, I think one of the last things I said about him the, uh, two weeks ago was let him go, let him do his thing, you know, don't be angry. If he doesn't want to be here, he doesn't want to be here. Uh, I guess he changed his mind. He wants to be here. So, um, you know, if you, if you if you hated him then, I'm sure you love him now. So good for good for Georgia, good for Marius Mims. Yeah, the optics especially because every time a five-star leaves and he turns into something, everyone's like, oh, well, the coaching staff got this one wrong. Well, he technically hasn't left yet, so you can't say that. Yeah, it's kind of a job interview for him at this point, right? Like, hey, man, like you're not draft eligible, but if you do things right, then you're set up for next year that, that it'll be a nine-month job interview to potentially – I mean, his body's a first-round talent. Now, if mm-hmm. he gets there, yeah. like, skill-wise and tape-wise, we'll have to see. Um, the thing I've, I've heard with him is just got to play low. He's so big, and in high school, he was just pushing people over with a lot of uh, upper-body strength, and it's hard to do that in college, and you can really get your feet taken out from under you. Right. Uh, 
All right, well, let's move on to the topic of the week. Y'all been going through the uh, position groups for Georgia, and uh, Paul left me wide receiver and tight end, which is just plenty of fantastic fodder. Uh, so let's start mm-hmm. with the wide receivers, and, and I'm not sure the format that y'all have done this. Let me just run down the scholarship guys. Y'all can tell me if I am, am an idiot and miss anybody. Uh, and then we'll just kind of talk about the position group from there, uh, and then if we see any late exits in the portal, if we see any late entries in the portal, uh, starting on the wide receiver, A.D. Mitchell, Ladd McConkey, Dom Blaylock, Kiaris Jackson, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, Arian Smith, Jackson Meeks, and then the freshman C.J. Smith and Denylon Morissette. Uh, there are some contributors that are walk-ons beyond that, but that's what I have as nine scholarship receivers. I don't think I missed anybody there. Uh, when you start looking at just returning productivity, A.D. Mitchell obviously having the catch in the national championship game. Lad McConkey having a, a fantastic season last year. Uh, Don Blaylock and Karis Jackson seemingly healthy for the first time in, in a bit. I mean, Karis Jackson played a lot last year, but he was dinged up a lot too. Uh, and then Marcus Rosemey Jackson uh, has some experience as well. Arian Smith has some experience, but not a lot of total plays because of his injuries. So, um, Jason, I guess I'll just start with you. When you look at Georgia's receiver position, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? Uh, what do you think this can be for Georgia's offense? You've got a lot of uh, you got a lot of guys who, who can contribute. You got a lot of possession guys. You got so you got some speed with Lad McConkey. The one thing they missed, they're missing George Pickens. You know that would have been awesome if they had him the full season last year. The guy who can go uh, go beat a double team can can uh, go do all the things that those NFL receivers can do. I don't see an NFL receiver like an, a top tier number one NFL receiver on this roster. That's not a bad thing necessarily. I think they got a they got a lot of number twos, uh, a lot of number threes, maybe at the next level. Um, I look at Ad Mitchell. I look I look at even Lad McConkey. How fast uh, that guy is, and he's a guy. I say they got a lot of possession guys. He's not a possession guy yet, I, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, he gets labeled that. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Arian Smith, also a guy with with speed. Um, Don Blaylock was a guy who came in that uh, I think I thought had had tremendous upside maybe he could work his way into a, a for top three top four round draft pick obviously the injuries have, have slowed him up um but I, I just see a lot of contributors i see i, I, I can't remember if it was last it might have been last week's show right after the right after g-day i mentioned uh that that this reminds me of the, it was the 2012 georgia team where they had a lot of guys who ended up making the nfl some guy chris conley he's, he's played for a long time you know if not for injuries malcolm mitchell would have probably played for a while um, you know, they got guys like that. They don't necessarily have that game breaker, um, but plenty of options for Stetson Bennett. And at the end of the day, we'll get to tight ends shortly. Brock Bowers is the go-to guy in this offense anyway. So uh, good group, good, solid group. Got no no issue, really. You're just missing that, that one guy on the outside that they could have had in Pickens last year now that he's gone. I really like the two deep because I think they always – every person on the roster has another receiver that compliments them. Like, I think A.D. Mitchell and Marcus mm-hmm. Jersey complement each other and can both play the X. I think you have two guys that you could split out and could just burn in the corners. Arian Smith and Lad McConkey have crazy speed. And then the slot, you have two guys who once in year four, once in year five, with Blaylock and Kiaris, who both are really experienced. So I think you have a mix of, like, okay, we have two guys who are similar that can do each spot that we need. Um, I mean, Arie Gilbert could technically play receiver too, which is interesting. But I think the guy, the two guys I'm most intrigued about are Arian Smith and Denylon Morissette because I'm interested to see if Morissette cracks the rotation because I've heard good things about how he's done. And there always seems to be that freshman receiver, whether it was Pickens or Mitchell or Burton, who always seems to get get on the field. So I'm interested to see if he cracks the field. He's a really good route runner. He's got solid speed. So he's a really well-rounded receiver. And then Arian Smith, because I know Brent's always talked about there's one guy who can change the offense, and it's Arian Smith, because really, no matter if it's Stetson or Beck or Brock, no matter who the quarterback is on the field, Arian Smith changes everything because he makes the safeties have to play five yards back because you cannot play too close up or else he's going to just run past everybody. So, like, he changes the entire offense. So that's why I think if he can stay healthy – he totally changes Georgia. If Georgia gets two or three shots to him a game, if he's healthy, changes the offense a lot. And that's saying something because I think this is as deep of a receiver and tight end group as Kirby's had at Georgia, um, which is why I think the offense could be even better this year than it was last year. 
I like how you broke down the complimentary receivers there because I actually see C.J. Smith maybe being that for Arian Smith. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that way, if Arian were to get hurt again, you actually have that like sprinter deep threat. Uh, You know, maybe he's got to (laughs) learn some college football first. I'm not trying to throw Mm -hmm. him in there right away. Uh, But at least that potential is there. And I've been hearing great things about Jackson Meeks. Like I think it's going to be a bit of a difficult thing for him to crack the depth chart because there's so much experience in front of him. But he's just a versatile guy, Uh, you know, someone that really strong hands uh, making the the catch. You saw a little bit of that in Um, Mm G-Day. And I think with him, it's going to be how good of a blocker are you? Uh, Because I saw Marcus Rosemey, Jackson gets on the field because you saw the blocks that he can make, especially down the stretch for Georgia last year. And uh, I, I like the. I want to also echo the um, the breaking down the uh, you know kind of kind of the duos. When I when I covered the Falcons, they called them Raheem Morris called them clones. Where you had one guy who was like the next guy, and then you had your slot guy who was just like the slot guy. You know, you had so you had your your X and your Z, but you had you had a backup in, in case of injury. It seems like a lot of NFL teams, a lot of college teams, um, are, are definitely trying to to make sure they have that so that they can have a full complement on their roster so they're not lost if there's an injury you have a a complement that can that can step in and, and perform those roles um Kyrus Jackson to me um if you remember it was two years two years ago that was Stetson Bennett's guy in the slot at the beginning of uh I guess it would have been the 2020 season and then obviously when Stetson went out um and, and JT came in JT favored the outside a little more um so I'll be interested to see if that chemistry can come back if Kyrus Jackson is able to be healthy for the entire year and is able to, uh, you know, if he if he does end up kind of being that slot uh, third down receiver that that he has been that he's that he's done well during his time here. So I want to see if that chemistry can come back. But um, uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, it, it's not there's no holes. It's really just missing that one that one NFL guy that the, I should say one first round NFL guy. Um, what that Georgia has historically you know, had at times throughout, throughout program, throughout his program, but uh, just a really good solid group of receivers on this roster, in my opinion. Pretty crazy to say that there's no holes. However, George Pickens is going to be potentially a first round yeah. pick in the NFL. He's a guy that technically mm-hmm. could have come back though. We all knew that he wasn't going to, and he shouldn't have. Uh, but then you also lose Jermaine Burton, right? I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. we can have this conversation in whole uh, without discussing Burton's departure and what that leaves behind. Uh, ben, I'd said for a while that, that I thought even if Burton would have come back, he wouldn't have been the best receiver on the roster. Uh, and so I think that obviously that's still the case now, that they have receivers better than Jermaine Burton. But overall, I think a lot of Georgia fans are kind of excited to see um, what Georgia has and obviously doing the comparison to what Burton's going to do in Alabama. Well, I think everyone already assumes that Burton at Alabama because they throw the ball so much. It's all about just attempts because their rushing offense is lower and they also their defense isn't as good, which is not good. But that also means the offense is on the field faster because their defense being scored on fast. So that's a big part of like the give or take when people talk about I want the flashy offense and the receiver numbers that people don't really talk about much. So when I look at Burton leaving, I would agree with you because I think A.D. Mitchell is going to develop arguably into the best receiver on the team. You already see the flashes and he did that as a freshman where he didn't play a senior year of high school. He was an early enrollee already. I mean, I think it was JTN Stetson both said like he was like one of the first guys there, like when they were doing the seven on sevens in the winter and stuff like that. He was like the first guy there every time. So you already see it with him that he's really developing into a really good receiver. He just needs to be more consistent with catching. He um, I remember in the Alabama game, he was really good. But in the previous games, he dropped a lot of uh, easy little 10 yard passes that he can't have. But I think if he improves his consistency there, I think he could be the best receiver on the team. I think Arian Smith, like I said earlier, could be the most important because Alabama, all the receivers that have been elite are the same. They're all going to stretch the field because they're so fast. All of them ran like in the mid four fours or better. And they all were like six under six, two. So when you look at that, like Arian Smith is kind of like a Bama receiver in the fast that he stretches the field. So I think those two are kind of going to be the most important if they're healthy. And then Lad McConkey, they use him a lot in the screen game. I remember Jermaine Burton, his freshman year, remember they threw him a bunch of screens. Last year, I don't think they threw him a single one. So like you could tell with these other receivers, they're using them in different ways that I think you would love to still have Jermaine Burton, but I, I, I would actually agree with you that, yeah, I don't think he would be the best one because – 
one, they don't use them like that. And two, I think these other guys who specialize in certain areas are more important to the offense. It, it really just is another testament to the recruiting that has happened. We've talked about this with other positions too. Um, it's, you know, Kirby's been here since 16. Um, in those first, you know, the first half of his tenure, he, he really ramped up the, you know, who was playing the starters. And then, and then your second team was solid. Then behind that, you know, it was a drop off. There's really no drop off at a lot of these positions anymore. It's, there's been enough time to kind of stockpile. You, you can afford to lose Jermaine Burton and George Pickens. And that's insane. Having been, you know, having grown up in Georgia, having gone to Georgia, having covered Georgia, I have, uh, I, I've never seen the depth at these positions that, I mean, it's why, I mean, it's the easiest statement of the night. You know, it's why you win a national championship. You have the best talent on the, on uh, the roster in the country, <laughs> on your roster in the country is what I'm trying to say. And so, uh, receivers no different we talked about nine guys and you know i think when it comes to those those first six you're going to see this ball being distributed uh quite a bit i don't think you get a thousand yard receiver out of any of these guys i think brock bowers is your best bet again uh, as i alluded to earlier he, he's to me he's he's going to be the number one option in this offense but you just have uh, man, you, you can spread the ball out and you have you have a lot of guys who can do a lot of different things and uh th- this offense should be way more opened up i think with Going into this offense with Stetson Bennett at quarterback, um, as the surefire starter, we all know he, he's able to. He was able to get a lot of reps this this spring. It played G Day all the way through. Um, a lot more familiar, uh, asserting himself more as a leader. That's going to open things up for for this passing game. And and uh, we've talked about it before. Given the losses on defense, they're going to have to pass the ball more. And so I think this this receiving core, a lot of a lot of quality guys who can get the job done in different ways. Uh, Really, really like this group a lot. I, can't, I don't think I can state that enough. Does Georgia bring in someone from the portal at wide receiver in the next few weeks? I would venture to say yes. Uh, I, I would say so because I think they, they one, they have the scholarship numbers. Now, Kirby's never going to reveal his numbers because we've always been talking about, oh, how many guys have to leave? And now we're hearing, oh, there might not be that many because some are gray shirt or they're walking on or something. But I definitely believe they need some more – like another top end guy who could take the top off the defense who's experienced because they have the ability to take one. You have three scholarships that you can take players in like three or four, and you're going to lose them if you don't take them. And receivers probably one of the positions on offense that you would use it on. So I feel like they have to take portal players. I know we'll probably get into that in the next week or so, but I think by default, that's one of the positions you kind of have to take. I don't know if they, my opinion, I don't know if they have to take one, but they can be selective. And if the right guy's there and it's a guy who is that upper, uh, an upper level guy who, you know, you know, is going to contribute. Uh, I think, yeah, you, you go after him. Um, it's the one, you know, that, 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 that number one X guy who can be, you know, first round, second round. I mean, I don't know if that guy is going to show up in the portal or not. Uh, Jameson Williams obviously did for Alabama. But uh, if, um, you know, if, if that kind of guy comes through and you have a chance, uh, I think you go for it if you're Georgia because that, that's at, the, at that position, that's the one thing you're missing. I think it's smart just for a depth piece because I'm looking at these nine guys and I'm seeing three that have a history of pretty severe injuries, obviously Blaylock, uh, but even Rosemey's broken leg against Florida. I mean, he was fine last year, but, I mean, that was still a serious injury that you account for. Uh, Aaron Smith's been dinged up a lot too. And so I, I look at this group and I'm like, you're, you're – two injuries away from being pretty thin at that position um, and not having the walk-on experience. You know, Jalen Johnson played a lot for Georgia as a walk-on at, at receiver, and he's not there anymore. Uh, I think they have some other guys that could play. Uh, and I think you'll see some of those walk-ons as special teams contributors too. But just as a depth piece at receiver, I, I, I do think that they bring someone in or at minimum have some other – spot on the team that gets a couple reps there in case they got dicey. I mean, they, they do have that from the you know secondary if you had to flip someone over, but I know they don't like to do that if they don't have to. Um, let's, let's wrap the receiver portion of this with uh, another game of mine. So uh, this is kind of high school uh, superlative season, so in the yearbooks. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to give you a, a quick description or a one word, and I want you to tell me which receiver – best personifies this for Georgia. So you've got your group of nine on scholarship. Uh, who is the best route runner? 
I was going to say Cole Spear for fun, so we didn't talk about him. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I forgot about Spear. I feel bad about that. Whoops. You're right. Oh, I would probably just go with A.D. Mitchell because I've seen him run a lot of hitches and vertical. I've seen him run a different route combination, so I'm just going to go with him as a safe pick. Yeah. I, I like I like MC. I, I like Kyrus Jackson. I thought oh, – yeah. I don't know. I'm gonna. Go, I'll just go Kyrus Jackson. I, I think I'm gonna go AD, and it's only because I forget which game it was. Maybe you can help me, Ben. But uh, he's in the the red zone one on one, and it's like a straight up pro move. I think it was like three yards. He does the the shake, the shimmy to the inside, and a quick release to the outside, and the ball was there for him. Uh, I want to say maybe Tennessee, but I really don't remember. Because uh, I remember he had a nice double move against South Carolina. That was really nice. That may be the the. No, I don't For think that's the one I'm thinking. He, he has plenty, so I guess that's reason enough. Uh, which of Georgia's receivers has the best catch radius? Would catch have been chickens too, sure. Yeah, I was going to say, who right now? That's the thing. They don't have that. Coming out of high school, I like Marcus Rosemey. I really liked Rosemey's catch radius coming out of high school. You, you tend to go with the bigger guys for catch radius, but You're that's right. not always yeah. the case. Because I think catch radius, I think like plucking it out of the air across the middle, who does that the best? Plucking it out of over the middle, and maybe not necessarily know. over the middle, but you know who plucks the ball out of the air when it's not necessarily the best. The yeah, honestly, Ad Mitchell probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you threw a reek in there, I would probably say reek. Yeah, okay. yeah, but yeah, he's he's a tight end right now. But best blocking wide receiver. Oh, prob- I'm just gonna go Rosemead because Rose championship game. Like I've seen big blocks out of him. Yeah. I'm going Rose, me too. Best yards after the catch. McConkie. 100%. Oh, yeah, I was going to go that or I was going to go Kiaris. I've seen Kiaris on some of those screens do break big, big gains. And they still run him on that jet sweep a lot, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is easy, I think, but best deep shot. Oh, it's Arian. Arian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, possession receiver, which, as you said, Jason, stereotypically uh, um, white receiver. Uh, people are going to say McConkie. He's not, yeah, but he's not. Though. He's not. I though. Forget, what, not was him. it? Was it the Vanderbilt game? And they're like, oh man, we're getting a lot of McConkie. He's the possession guy. What the? You know, no, no. no, he's not at all. <laughs> I, no. I think the best possession receiver is probably Kiaris. Oh yeah, yeah, one hundred percent out of the slot. Yes, yeah. I agree with that. Um, th- this is a weird one. Who's your third down bailout guy? Which I guess that's what I thought Pickens was. At like third and eight, you're going to throw it to a guy? Who is oh, that? Blaylock. I'm going with Blaylock if he's healthy. Over the Impressive. middle, I just feel like he's easy, he's easy yards. I'd, I'd, yeah, probably uh, if he's healthy. Yeah, I'd say just knowing what we know, I'd go Karras again just because um, he's your slot guy. If you're going with a receiver, I'd go with him. I'll go but Cole. I like, like Blaylock too. I'll go Cole Spear just because I disrespected him yes. and not including him on the <laughs> list. So thank you, Ben. Uh, finally, which Georgia receiver will have the most touchdowns this season? Again, it'll be probably behind two tight ends, frankly. But which receiver will have the most touchdowns? Oh man, I'm tempted not to go Mitchell, even though I feel like he's the obvious answer. Hmm. I'm going because I was not. Was he the leader receiver this year for touchdowns? Make it five. Is that right? Was it oh, Burton yeah, or was yeah. it Mitchell who had more touchdowns this year? I will go confirm on the stats while you guys. Because Burton had a lot of one play touchdowns, but Mitchell, I feel like, was more like. McConkey had five. Red. Burton had five. AD Mitchell had four. Some of the sure, returnees okay. uh, at receiver, McConkey would be the leader right now. Oh. I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna roll again and go Kyrus Jackson. Why not? He stays healthy. No, I'm gonna go with Blaylock from last time because Ooh, I think if he's playing, okay. I think in the red zone, I, I think they he can be really effective. It should be Washington if they're in the red zone a lot. It's my one yeah. pick of the offense. They need to throw him the ball in the red zone. You couldn't make the argument. What if they don't get to the red zone because they've just been throwing it to Arian Smith every day? Yeah. That's true. <laughs> he ends up the guy 14, 15 touchdowns. Yeah, he'll end up having. Uh, yeah, yeah, if he had fourteen touchdowns, he's gonna have fifteen catches. It's gonna be that kind of. Game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move over to uh, tight end. Overall, yeah, I agree. Georgia's pretty stacked at receiver and uh, a lot of different kinds of players, which I think is helpful. 
uh, not as stacked as they are at tight end. Uh, this is after spring, a group that is getting praise for, is that the best tight end group in the history of college football, which is hyperbolic at this point. And I, I started thinking though, and I'm like, pretty sure Winslow and Shockey were on the same Miami team. So at least in recent memory, that's where my brain goes to. But then you think of Alabama had some, some pretty awesome ones. Um, who was it? They had Irv Smith as the backup for OJ Howard. OJ Howard. Yeah, OJ that's, Howard. That's a right. solid group, but that, that's not better than what Georgia has now. Georgia, uh, I don't think so. Deep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, scholarship tight ends, six on the roster with Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, Arik Gilbert, Brett Seether, Rylan Gody, and Oscar Delp. Um, frankly, let's start with the portal discussion, I don't know that you'll see anyone come in, but I, I think you're going to see a guy leave. Yes, I'm with you. There's just too many guys. Uh, I, I won't be surprised to see one leave. Um, I mean, how, how does everybody get on the field? I mean, Darnell Washington is your guy you're trying to convince, right? I mean, you've heard all the rumors and all the stuff about him. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, if, if Washington stays, I mean, this is – I mean – your top three tight ends. I I don't know. I guess the Miami the Miami tight ends you mentioned, um, Winslow and Shockey. That would be the the best comparison that you could probably make in terms of tight ends that you've seen in one room at the college level at one time. It's uh, yeah, that's it's that's really remarkable. Um, so when you when you get down below those those top three, especially Oscar Delp, I kind of expect him to be the number four. Um, when it's all said and done this year, uh, you get you get to the next that that next group. Yeah, could possibly see one go. I think they could have four of like the top six or seven tight ends of college football this year. I, I've never seen anything like that because you look. Bowers to me is the best outside. Of, who's the guy at Notre Dame? Michael Mayer is his name. Like Mayer, yeah, yeah, he's a pretty good tight end. But outside of that, I can't think of any household tight ends. And that's their knock at a guy. I just can't off the top of my head. So. I look and I say you have Bowers, who's the best tight end in the country, who is an underrated blocker, and obviously you just don't want to have a tight end who's that fast, who's catching screen passes and running past people and is tearing people up deep down the field over the middle. It's it's just absurd what he is. And then Washington, a guy who's close to 6'8", 260, probably the best run-blocking tight end. I think pro football focus graded Bowers and Washington, the two best tight ends last year. You had Arik Gilbert, who's like the freshman All-American tight end his one year at LSU. And then Oscar Delp was arguably an unborn high school tight end who had close to 100 yards of G-Day. Like, that's absurd that they have that. I'm interested to see if they just run, like, four tight ends and a running back. Like, they, they might do that and just a wide receiver discussion might be like, okay, occasional deep shot to Arian and, yeah, nobody else. Like, that that might be what they, they can run, which is absurd. And I think it's going to be uh, Bowers and Gilbert. Assuming if Gilbert stays at tight end, I assume they're going to be the two main guys. Washington, they can probably use him on some short passes and in the red zone. And then Delp could be a guy who, you know, for depth, who might be able to come in if they ever wanted to rotate. So that gives them so many options. I just That's the thing. They're in a, go ahead, Jason. I'll just say that, you know, when you look at – to me, when you look at Bowers, he's just – he's interchangeable. Like, you could you could feasibly put him at the X. And he, 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 he can – running back. Yeah, you put on, you, I mean, you can you can do so many things with him all across the formation to where um, – go kind of going to your point about injuries. Like, if you have enough injuries at receiver or if you have, you know, two or three injuries, like, you can make up some of those losses with the tight ends. Uh, um, I mean, Gilbert Gilbert can can basically play, uh, play receiver. Bowers can step in and play a traditional receiver role. Um, it's it's an embarrassment of riches right now at the entire pass catching group right now. When Ben said that he could not think of like tight ends in college football that really have no notoriety right now, I just did a quick Google search while we were chatting and uh, Brock Bowers. This is a PFF article ranking the top ten returning tight ends. Two Georgia guys on here with Bowers and Gilbert. Uh, Utah also had two at the top ten on this PFF mm. list. Mayer was the number two. Uh, they did, uh, this did not have Darnell Washington featured on it, which is very short-sighted in my opinion. Um, but the other guys just in the top five, Brant Cuthie from Utah and Jaheim Bell from South Carolina. Um, okay. So we'll see. None of those are Bowers. 
<laughs> Bowers yeah, is no. by far the best tight end uh, in college football. Overall with this group, though, I mean, you start thinking like just the red zone, you know, things you can do with these guys. Uh, Bowers and Washington have been in those red zone sets. And you, how does Gilbert fit into what's already there? I mean, we already saw how he was used to G-Day. I mean, you could just use him across the middle. I mean, if you put two – I think they're going to run in two tight ends at least a lot this year. It would be hard not to because I think with Washington, you can use him in there as a red zone passing threat and as a really good run blocker. So that's really good that you have a red zone threat and probably the best blocking tight end, like I said, in college football. But then in the red zone, like Gilbert, you can use him over the middle and he can create mismatches. Plus you could sp- – I mean, they were splitting him out. And having like kind of like with George Pickens when they would split him out and do the fade um, in the red zone, like they tried doing that with Gilbert, and that's probably what they're going to do with him. And then with Bowers, I remember they did the fade with him versus Georgia Tech. So they're going to run a lot of fades and run those guys over the middle, probably in some of those mesh routes. And I think they're they're just going to abuse linebackers. It's, it's going to be abuse um, against other teams. And I think uh, the. the- the big thing with this tight end group is because they're there, they go four deep at being able to catch the ball, whether it's, whether it's red zone going deep, intermediate, third down safety net uh, defenses aren't going to know you, you're not going to have a two tight end set or a three tight end set. And the defenses can't play the run primarily. Uh, it's just the, um, the versatility at the group is so key when it comes to preset pre-snap preparation or pre-snap, uh, you know, fooling the opponent in that regard. So uh, that, that to me is where this tight end group can play a huge advantage uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, being able to keep defenses on their heels. I will say overall, like, yes, this depth at tight end, is just ridiculous for this upcoming season. And that's even if, I mean, even if it's six guys and we said one might be transferring, which if that were to happen, it'd be like Seether or Goaty uh, based on what we're saying. If Washington stays, which it sounds like, at least the what I hear in my circles that Washington is, will end up staying, um, but that means Washington and Gilbert are doing their NFL job interview for the next nine months, uh, and we'll both be gone in the process for next spring. All of a sudden, if you did lose Seether or Goaty, your your depth at tight end is tested immediately going into next year because half of these guys will be gone before the next season. So if you're looking at like future roster management things, you're like, all right, Bowers is there for one more year after this one. And then beyond that, Delt better be ready. And then you're getting into Pierce Sperlin and, and the next wave of the guys, right? Yeah, the number one tight end in 24, Landon Thomas, he's probably going to end up at Georgia. I mean, he told me straight up that I he was very close to committing the last time he was even on campus. And then at 23, you have Lawson Lucky already committed. And then they're trying for Duncan Robinson, who's the top tight end, who might be a first-round pick at baseball. So they're shooting him. So it's kind of absurd that Todd Hartley gets – a top two tight end every year and usually gets them early and just gets to sit. Like I've not seen a guy recruit one position so well in my life. So they're set. It's just, they're going to be very young, um, but they're going to be talented. They're, they're still going to be the most talented tight end room every year. It's just, they're going to be very young some years. Yeah. They get Brock Bowers back for another year. So it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I mean, you get Brock Bowers back next year and then it's, even though you lose Washington and, and a Gilbert, you, you have him, you have Delp, and then, you, and then, you, yeah. And I mean, hell, uh, Bowers was a freshman. I mean, it, this is a position where not always does a guy come in and, and play right away, but, but when you have a guy like Bowers, you know, and this is obviously assuming that, that he stays injury free. I mean, right now, if Bowers goes down, they are very fortunate at tight end to where they have other guys who can step up. Yes, I, I agree. You know, you lose, you lose those two guys, Bowers goes down, you are in some trouble. But assuming he stays healthy in 2023, it, it's – I mean, just think I, – I, I shudder to think what he could be then based on what we saw last year. So, I think no matter what they're – and maybe it's just the optimist in me. I, I think they're in, in good hands at this position for, for uh, many years to come, barring complete disaster of, like, injuries and decommitments and, and so forth. Look, I'm just filling in for Paul. I'm trying to stir the pot a little bit, see if I can find a <laughs> thing here. We're all just sitting yeah. there talking in platitudes about these tight ends, and I, I try to sneak yeah. in something in there that's like, I know. well, here's the thing to watch for, jo- trying to be Paul, and y'all shot me down. So, good job. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, Dane. <laughs> I'm going to text Paul later and be like, they were mean to me. I was just trying to <laughs> live up to your name, Paul. Paul. Paul can be quite dumb on here with some of his, some of his takes, Dane. I don't think you've said anything bad today, so. 
Definitely uh, an upgrade. So I need to come up with some worse takes. Is that what you're saying? I mean, I completely yes. left off well, a wide receiver. I was trying receiver, to argue so. that the Georgia fan opinion about why Arch Manning, why they shouldn't potentially take him. I remember that one day. I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah, that was pretty bad. I was like, one. Paul, like, there's sometimes where Paul's like, I got to play devil's advocate on here. But I'm like, sometimes, Paul, that's just, that's bad. That's just, that's just bad, Paul. Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I could, my, my current take that I'm sitting on is that, like, um, obviously a national championship is fun and interesting. But as a whole, like, watching Georgia football is not as much fun as watching like Ole Miss football uh, because like fourth quarters are not in like, they're not dramatic at all. So in terms of like the best thing as a fan is like to be in a close game every week, but always win. Right. Uh, right, It depends. I would would agree with that. I would agree with that. If you're a fan of the game. Yes. But if you're a fan of a team, like you, you don't want that heart. You don't want those heart palpitations. But I the mean, splash plays, like that Arkansas Ole Miss game was fun. That, that, I mean, that last, yeah, game, that yeah, was one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen in my life, but that yeah. was fun to watch. Uh, I guess I'll put it this way if Georgia gets up 14 in any game against not Alabama or not Ohio State, I'm pretty much thinking it's over because I don't, yeah. just talent wise, I think it's hard for any team, uh, unless they have a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud to come back against Georgia. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that with Ole Miss, I literally think. 70 teams in the country can score three touchdowns in the fourth quarter against Ole Miss. And Ole Miss can do that to a lot of teams too. Yeah. So I'm that's just, why like if, if you're not, yeah, if you're not uh, an Ole Miss fan, they are the most fun team to watch because you don't care if they lose, but it's chaos every week. I think LSU is going to be like that this year too. Yeah. Oh, that's that. actually my sleeper take. Dane brought up probably one of the best discussions he's brought up today about Georgia rivals which I would have a take on that. I think LSU and a is going to be one of the bigger SEC rivals over the next five to ten years. So yeah. that, on the dog, man, I posted this. I was talking to one of the students. I work at Grady College at UGA, uh, and I was talking to one of the students in the sports media program, and uh, he was telling me that Georgia's biggest rival is Alabama. And I'm like, whoa. And like in the state that I grew up in, yeah. where it's like, you know, <laughs> everyone where I grew up thinks that Florida's the devil. And then I worked in Columbus, and they think Auburn's the devil. You're in Chattanooga, you think Tennessee's the devil, and it's like they don't right. even play Alabama every year. And he's like, "Yeah, but that's the only team that beats Georgia." And I'm like, "I can tell you've been in college for two years." Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's amazing what it's come to. When I was in when I was in college, it was like you, Dane. It was 100% Florida. I mean, because I, I think when when I was growing up, well, when I was growing up, Tech was still somewhat relevant, and mm-hmm. uh, but then the when Paul Johnson got there, it's just like. Tech became so irrelevant that uh, it just seemed like it almost seemed like it was disinterested among Georgia. That game was it, it, the, the two years Paul Johnson won. It was just like a complete. Sh- well, one was his first year. I, I, I remember. But then after that, there was the second one he won. I think it was. I was pooch kicking. It was Kirby's first year. It was Kirby's first year, right? Yeah, it was yeah. Kirby's first year. Kirby's first year they lost. And, and um, it was just complete. It was a complete shock. It was like, what happened? There was no. There was one other time, right? It was the stupid. Uh, I'm thinking the Pooch yeah, kick and Harrison Butker. Oh yeah, game. Harrison Butker game, and then the two uh, Sony and Nick both fumbled. Yeah, it was that game too. So it was three games. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so um, it was just, but it was just a complete shock when they won. So like for, for I guess for me it was. Florida, not to mention the '90s. Florida owned the rivalry, so it was all three just of those like, Tech wins happened in Sanford Stadium too. None of those. I know, and that nuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Georgia Tech fans just don't exist hardly anymore. Maybe you guys see them, you know, more. I really don't. I, I, I they like are non-existent. Like the stadium, yeah. is just all Georgia fans whenever they put on the road there. So it's kind of hard. Like that's still to a lot of people a rivalry because the in-state feel to it, and that was such a heated rivalry. I mean, the, the rivalry's old-fashioned hate. Like that's probably the best rivalry name my opinion but um i think tennessee is also one that i think is really underrated like i think tennessee would be a bigger rival than bama now going forward if bama and the sec expansion joins the east or if they're in a pod together georgia and bama i think that could be the biggest college rivalry on the national media um, it'll change for probably sure build that as the biggest rivalry would be georgia and bama if they had to play every year i, I definitely could see that 100 i think yeah. it's always going to be florida and georgia's mind it always is going to be florida in my opinion I don't see. Anything. I don't know. I I, I don't know. It, it, like if if Georgia and Bama play every year, like you said, if somehow some way that happens, and not much change changes on the landscape where Georgia and Bama are dominating college football, I mean that's going to. I think that's going to surpass it. 
as long as they don't play every year in the regular season, it's not really a rivalry to me yet. It's mm-hmm. just a you just got two teams playing in the SEC championship and possibly in the playoff. With expansion coming, I just don't see a way that Georgia and Bama would play every year unless it really is right. like they just meet up in Atlanta every year because you know it, and the SEC championship should probably be eliminated one day once they like get the conference deal going, but it's not going to because of money. Um, and it's such a big game for the conference. So that's another discussion for another day. Um, let's wrap with a little NFL draft talk here because it is the week of the draft now coming up on Thursday. Um, how many Georgia guys do you think will be in the first round? It looks like anywhere between four and I guess in a perfect world, seven, which would just be nuts. Yeah. There's no way to get seven. I think three to seven's the range. Like seven's like the um, dream scenario. I mean, seven is seen and Pickens and Quay Walker. Quay Walker jumping up there. And right? then the four would be obviously Dean, Wyatt, Davis, and Trayvon. Yeah. I think the biggest discussion is does Trayvon go first? That would be interesting. See how that I, happens. I doubt it, but it could happen. The Jaguars yeah, never are never. big on taking guys who are just like athletic specimens over guys. Like he's passed on JJ Watt. He's passed on, um, he's passed on both Watt brothers. He's passed on a lot of guys. I think one of the Boses maybe to take guys who with higher athletic ceiling. So by his track record, he would take Trayvon, and there's buzz about it. I, my guts tell me it's going to be Hutchinson, but I'm really intrigued to see if he goes one this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you're get, you're getting the three no matter what. You're getting, you know, Trayvon. He could go one or two. Um, you know, I don't, he's not falling out of the top five at this point from what it sounds like. Maybe not top three. Um, then you got the two big D tackles and, and uh, Jordan Davis and Wyatt. And then, yeah, I think Seen is your, your guy. I, mean, I think, like, I think they get four best-case scenario, three for sure. I, I just don't see them getting five, six, and seven. You think N'Kobe Dean's falling out of the first round? Yes. Yeah, I do. I go five. If if you had to, you know, I, I'd go bold and I'd go five. I'd throw wait, the same four you had and I'd throw Dean in there because I just think some team okay. has to take him. Like, it, it, it think it's just, I don't know what the, I don't know what it, either. Either we're all getting played or or there's something out there that because I mean I, I love the way the guy plays, but I mean it's frustrating to it's me, just, right? Yeah. Because like if you just look at it on tape. I would tell you N'Kobe Dean was a better player at Georgia than Trayvon Walker was as a whole, like in terms of impacting the defense yeah. more. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought N'Kobe Dean just like jumped off the film more, but obviously you start com- combining the potential and the athleticism. Like Trayvon Walker is, is a freak in a lot of ways. And N'Kobe Dean isn't in those same ways, but right. you know, I, I guess I, I look at it and I say, what has N'Kobe Dean done since, you know, helping win the national championship to drop essentially this would be like 20 spots because he was being – Unless it's all like, a smoke screen and – yeah. Unless it's all a smoke screen and at the end of the day, there's a team in the back half of the first round that thinks it gets a, a hell of a deal by being able to take him there instead of the first half of the first round. I mean, that, It's not terrible that, stuff with yeah. that guy. Right. Exactly. Georgia so that, that's the only thing I can think of, but unless like he just didn't test or interview or, or whatever it was well with, with scouts during the process – um, it is wild to see his fall, and um, but yeah, based on what we we've seen, I, I don't. It, it sucks for him, but you know, I mean, hey, second, third round, I, that's there's worse. There's a worse way. There's worse things in life, I, I guess. You know, he'll well, still two, get drafted at least. Well, the two things I'm interested about is one, how many total picks? Because if Carmada, if Jay Carmada gets picked, that uh, Georgia will get 14. The record is 14, so they will tie the record if he gets picked. Because the other is John Fitzpatrick, which Brent has his heart on that he gets drafted. I, I'm still going to say it doesn't happen. But if he does and Carmada gets drafted, they'll get 15. Adam Anderson, if some team takes a chance late, that's another one that could get them to 15, assuming the punter gets drafted. But the one, the other thing that I was looking at was um, uh, Jamari Sawyer. That's the one thing where it's like, it's tough because a part of me would take Trayvon over Aiden Hutchinson because I think Hutchinson's maxed out and I would go at the ceiling with Walker. But then you look on the flip side, I'm like, well, Jamari Sawyer's one of the guys I've been beating on the table about. Because to me, it's about the medical. Because if his medical, which I think Dane's brought up to me throughout the season, was was Jamari's medical because he did have injuries and there were concerns about that, that if you think Jamari can be healthy and you don't think the medical's bad – I don't know why he can't be at least a second round pick. Cause if you're a left tackle for a national championship team and you don't allow like a sack, 
And your press, his pressure rate over the last two years has been the best in college football, according to PFF. Like he's allowed like 0.6% or something like that pressures per snap. And this guy's not even going to be a second round pick. Like I'm confused by that because I think as a guard at the next level, his IQ and leadership and ability and consistency as a blocker is so exceptional that I think he's an easy second round pick for a team that needs a guard. I don't understand the hate for him. Some people I've seen say he's like the ninth best guard in the draft. I don't get that at all. It makes no sense to me. Well, to, to further your point, he's a guy who can play all five. So if he needs to play tackle, he can. I mean, again, I, I think when Isaiah Wynn was coming out, there was a lot of speculation during the pre-draft that he would be a guard because of his size, and he's been a tackle. Um, mm-hmm. Now, no, I do think obviously that that uh, Sawyer will be a guard at the next level. But yeah, I'm with you. Uh, it is interesting to see. Um, this is a guy who has the experience. He, he's uh, you know been been solid his whole career at Georgia. So um, you know, second round seems to be a good. Uh, it seems to be a a solid spot for him. I don't think he falls past the third, but um, yeah, interesting that, like you said, he's not getting enough love, especially with his versatility um, to, to play multiple spots at the next level. Should I test out a trash take here? Cause I, I see a window. Um, <laughs> if Trayvon Walker gets drafted at the number one overall pick, and, and this is a, t- this is the, the, the anti Georgia show take, I guess. Uh, that will be evidence to me that the NFL says that Georgia misused Trayvon Walker. And that I don't that think he, that's a so I don't think that's a trash take. Yeah, I don't think it's a trash take. Um, but I but I also I, I I would disagree. I think we talked about a little bit about this last week. Um, you know, he after G Day, yeah, he because he um, it's hard to argue with uh, you know with the national championship team and coach like they clearly were doing something right you know coaching putting players out there doing their thing and all that but yeah Trayvon Walker but yeah I get it like you didn't feature Trayvon Walker in this defense what were you doing if he's the number one overall pick like I get I get what you're saying so I don't think it's trash but um but I understand I understand (laughs) (laughs) well well I think Georgia's defense puts like Adam Anderson, who man, that that's a sad situation, and uh, Nolan Smith. They really wanted those outside linebackers to be the guys who got all the sacks, because like Aziz Ojulari led the SEC in sacks, and yeah. he had the production. Yet he was a second round pick. Well, I, I, a part of it was like a medical from high school when he tours, like like ACL or something. Is what people said brought him back, but like that guy led the SEC in sacks and went second round, and Trayvon Walker's going first pick. So like I'm confused here with the NFL, which is why I think a lot of people like I've always said this like Darnell Washington, if he gets 400 yards, given that tight ends isn't a valuable thing, he could be a second round pick next year, which is basically a starting tight end instantly, and he's going to get big time money, which is ideal for a tight end. He doesn't need big production because he's six eight two sixty. If he runs a good forty, people are going to be like, oh, he's a freak. So, like, that's always going to be the thing where I'm confused with the NFL is, okay, do you look at this guy and how he was used or, you know, what he did at the combine, or is it really the production? Because based off Georgia, if you're an athletic freak, you're going to be picked number one. But if you lead the entire conference in sacks, you're going to be a second-round pick. I'm just really confused here because that narrative, I, it can go so many ways. So I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. There's a lot of over-evaluation done in the NFL, too. So sometimes, uh, you know, you get guys who are evaluated as freaks but um, and, and therefore the potential. Although I'll say the guy from Penn State, um, Owe, who uh, the Ravens got, um, yeah. did not did not have a great senior year when he had like zero sacks or one sack no or something at Penn State. No sacks, yeah. And they picked and, him up um, Yes, yes. And he was, he was great. Well – I thought he was. I thought he was pretty good for uh, as a rookie. For, I mean, he was obviously a, a decent pass rusher, and um, mm-hmm. so I, that stuff happens. Was that, that's that's an example of maybe a team. There's still time to be to determine if if they got that pick right. But um, a lot of times teams evaluate on these uh, tangibles uh, that they can sometimes over evaluate and, and put too much stock in them and, and not rely on the tape and uh, the production and the numbers. And so there is obviously a fine line. The best teams historically get that right. The Jaguars are not one of the best teams. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually hoping that 
for Trayvon Walker's sake that he does not become the number one overall pick because I wish nobody just out of the kindness of my heart that they go to Jacksonville to play football. But you have Detroit and Houston two and three, and they're god awful as well. And then you have the Jets, and then you have Detroit. So Houston's the they stay like the Falcons. Yeah, but they're not Jacksonville. Jacksonville. The Falcons might be one of the better places mm. to go. And I know a lot. I wouldn't even say check our message boards. I mean, Falcons fans complain about everything because it seems like everything is going bad down there, and it's a better situation than like all the top five, (laughs) which is yeah, that's. They I don't, yeah. With Jacksonville, you're going to see how much Doug Peterson actually decides anything because, like, based on kind of how he did things at Philly and then even back in his Andy Reid days, like, he's going to want to go Evan Neal, right? And just like, let me get something in my offense to make that work better. But then if someone above him is like, <laughs> actually go with one of the best, you know, athletes in the draft and we're going to go with an edge rusher, I think you're going to really see what Jacksonville's trying to do immediately. Because, I mean, they need everything other, you know, you're trying to make Trevor Lawrence look good. Yeah. Yeah. Because all the top nine teams need everything, it seems like, in this draft. And it's kind of a crapshoot draft, so. And I'm interested. This is my favorite NFL draft tradition is to see which terrible teams really overpick on quarterbacks. And this year is the perfect year for it because I I think – maximum two quarterbacks should be taken in the first round, maybe only one, and watch it end up being like five. It's probably, I was going to say, it's probably going to be four or five. Yeah. And you're just going to see in the back half of the draft, you're going you're gonna to see some trades probably and some just stupid picks. It's going to be awesome. If the Panthers so, take Pickett, <laughs> I mean, we're going to be seeing Matt Rule, Florida State coach next year. If we talk about bold prediction, I think Matt Rule, if he takes Kenny Pickett, will be a college head coach next year. I mean, if Pick, Pickett shouldn't be a first-round pick, Sam Howell shouldn't be a first-round pick, I don't think he will be. The only thing I could even, yeah. like, fathom is, like, Willis, if you just love his skill set and potential because he's raw. Uh, but I think Corral's the best quarterback in the game. I agree. I agree. Uh, I'm with you there, too, on Corral. I think he's, he's the, the only – to me, he's the only first-rounder in this draft. Yeah, but – He should be. All the, all the GMs are going to tell you, well, what, what about all these other cats out there? And then someone's going to talk themselves yeah. into second round pick Carson Strong. Here we go. Yeah. Or Desmond Ritter. I've seen some people say Desmond Ritter. I'm yeah. in the board. He's the best. I've seen so many things about like Pickett's the best quarterback. And then you have like Colin Coward, who's probably talking to the Chargers GM because I think he said he's talked to him before. Said, uh, oh, yeah, I had a long tenure GM tell me he's a third round pick. Yet people are saying he's the best quarterback. And then you have Willis. You have some people saying he's a third round pick or, Oh, you have to take him to like I've seen some people say he should go second. Like, I'm like, what I mean, the quarterbacks are all over the place, but I would take Corral. I think his ceiling's the highest. He's really good with RPOs. So I, I would take him, but I they're gonna overdraft the hell out of these quarterbacks. And it's gonna be funny. Yeah, they to for for I know a lot of Falcons fans probably watch. Do not, just tank for Bryce and get the best player you can at eight. That's what I would do for you guys. I mean, that division's fascinating because other I mean all four teams kind of need their future quarterback considering Tom Brady's age. Um, and so which one bites on it when and, and who hits and then who has to keep going back to the well the next two and three years. Yeah. That's – God, it didn't have to be that way for the Falcons either. That's the, that's the craziest part about the whole thing. It just, like, didn't have to be that way. And here they are. It was, it was going to be a bad year no matter what, whether it was with Matt Ryan or not. But man, they are such a dumb organization from the top. I mean, just Jameis Winston's the second best quarterback in the in the division, right? <laughs> Mariota isn't dead last, which is also saying something. <laughs> Who do the Panthers have? Darnold? Oh man, he Darnold. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. He's, yeah, yeah I got, I, you're right. Yeah. Because look at the AFC. What was it the AFC West? They have like. Four, like the top 10 quarterbacks. I think the North yeah. has Burrow, Watson, and Lamar. And then the Steelers could, Steelers are always good. And they're the one team that they won't be with Trubisky. Don't worry about it. And they'll still win like nine games somehow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we, uh, we were way off the rails of Georgia talk and we got into some, some NFL draft stuff. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I appreciate y'all letting me uh, hop in for Paul and kind of take the reins of the show, but. Uh, this is y'all's deal, and I'm happy to join anytime, but I uh, do want to make sure that uh, 
that Paul gets the seal of approval on this because this is his baby. Yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't need a seal of approval. You can just hop on whenever and kick I, him well, out. Apparently he has awful takes, so maybe I improve things a little bit. Awful takes, awful eating times, right, Jason? <laughs> yeah, he eats after the show, so he waits till about 9 o'clock to eat dinner. It's pretty strange. I snack after shows <laughs> like this, but I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, he thinks it's normal, too. He's always complaining to me about He's it. like, I got a pizza in the oven. I got I to gotta get this going. Are we like worried about his metabolism at all? I don't, I don't want to hear it out of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, appreciate uh, everyone for checking us out. We'll get this on our uh, podcast feed as well. Thank you for uh, subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you haven't, uh, we are either right there at it or about to be the largest Georgia Bulldog-centric YouTube channel. Uh, so make sure you're subscribing to help us out with that. For Ben Botman and Jason Butt, I'm Dane Young. Thank you for joining us in the UGA Sports Call-In Show. Have a good night.